little did I know as preparing for chapter 10, um, um, it's going to take me two weeks to do chapter 10. Now, please understand that someone made mention, I think it was last week or within recent days, that, you know, Christmas is coming up. And I don't know if you know this, Jeff. I don't know. You're a smart guy. I don't know if you knew this. But the revelation isn't exactly Christmas fodder. Right? It's not exactly the stuff where you go, wow, I want to hear that during Christmas. Right? Yeah, well, we're going to take a break during Christmas, okay? (laughs) We'll take a break from the revelation, and I'll pick it up later. Um, But I usually go into a... uh, four to six week Christmas series uh, right around the holidays and we are going to stick with that. So fear not everyone, we will not be having uh, the world uh, come under the foot of the divine majesty during the Christmas holiday, okay? It won't be happening, so praise God. With that said, uh, let's open to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, and I'm going to read the first three verses, okay? The Bible says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. That's some dramatic verses right there. That is some dramatic stuff. But before we get into all of that, I first of all want to say just how incredibly glad that I am, how excited I am today to not be talking about monsters I am so happy because the past two weeks has been the monster mash. And wow, what a bummer they are. But I'm gone. I'm I'm done with that. We've moved through that part of the revelation. um, And we're going to move forward. With having said that, how glad I am that we're not still talking about monsters. There's a however There's a but right here. We're not out of the woods. Just because we got past locusts with stingers and we got past demonic horses with lion heads that breathe fire, smoke, and brims or sulfur, and they have tails like serpents that bite, just because we're past those doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. Because not only is there a third woe waiting in the wings for us 
when the seventh trumpet sounds. But we're not even done with the second woe yet. We're not even done with woe number two. And we won't dispatch the second woe until we're halfway through chapter 11. We're in chapter 10 right now. It started halfway through chapter 9. And we're not going to be done with number 2 until halfway through chapter 11. The sixth trumpet has sounded. The second woe has commenced. But it lasts for the equivalent of two entire chapters. We've been pretty... You know, used to things popping right along. We do a chapter or a half a chapter and things have been moving. Well, now we're at a stall. It's not really a stall. It's just there's a lot going on. And the author, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is showing us a lot of stuff that's going on during this second woe, this sixth trumpet. So with that said... Chapter 10, that's where we're at this morning, in chapter 10, and this chapter, it's interesting in that, this chapter is only 11 verses long. It's, as chapters go, it's pretty short. It's pretty brief. But as the second half of chapter 9 continues to take place on earth, Did everybody just hear what I said? That's the sixth trumpet, the seventh woe. That's taking place on earth. A very different, very different and immensely powerful scene is unfolding simultaneously in heaven this morning in chapter 10, as John will attest. I need you to remember... Keep in mind something. Number one, I teach God's Word. That's what I do. I I fill that office in the kingdom of God. But the thing about the revelation is this, and I, I, I addressed this in the very first installment of this series. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse, is oftentimes avoided like the plague. For two reasons. Number one, people perceive the revelation as scary. And it's scary because they don't understand it. So they avoid it. Okay? The second thing is that when you're dealing with seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls and three woes and you get the idea... For the uninitiated, it can become very, very confusing. Can't keep things straight in their heads. With that said, because I fulfill that office of teacher, I, when we get into these kinds of matters, I will make my points explicit. Which means... I will often repeat things over and over and over so that everybody who might not be able to follow along as easily as someone else can lock down into the idea and try to get an idea of 
what it is we're talking about and where we're at in the revelation. Now, if you still walk away from here, just... There's two things in your favor. Number one, we podcast this off the website. Okay? The second thing is, we also have a YouTube channel where this will be on. YouTube and the website, cwccoursecanada.org. If you go to YouTube, type that in, cwccoursecanada.org, you get the list of messages. That's our web address. Pull up the web, look for the podcast. Go there, find this message, listen to it. Straighten it out in your head. Everybody good? Okay. This is part of that whole repeating thing. Here we go. We're in, currently, this morning, we're in the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet was sounded in my message last week, chapter 9, verse 13. But we're still there today because that trumpet hasn't expired. The seventh trumpet has not sounded yet. It's still pending. The seventh trumpet doesn't sound until chapter 11, verse 15. With that in mind, keep in mind that what was delivered to you in last week's message about one-third of the earth's population being killed by fire, smoke, and sulfur at the hands or at the mouths of these demonic horses. This morning, as we go into this scene that's going to unfold in chapter 10, is still happening. It's taking place in real time as we discuss this chapter, which is going to take me two weeks, and chapter 11 through verse 13. 13 when, the, is when everything changes in chapter 11. To put it another way, as God orchestrates what is taking place on earth, did, you ever, did everybody catch that? As God orchestrates what is taking place on earth, hit the pause button, let me give you an example. Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 13, we're going to read 13 and 14. Listen to what happens. I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. That is a prime example of God orchestrating what is taking place on earth from His perch on the throne in heaven. Everybody understand that? Okay. As God orchestrates these things that are taking place on earth, He is also steadily advancing... The divine plan for unveiling His Son while He is on His throne. Okay? Two things are going on in the Revelation. We're going to see a prime example of this this morning. Two things. One, God is orchestrating from His throne everything that's unfolding on the earth. It's not by chance. It's not haphazard. It's intentional. And God is controlling everything on earth. That was what we saw last week. 
on the reverse side of that, this week we see what's happening in heaven as God continues to advance His plan to unveil or reveal His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. Hence, our text verses this morning. What we see this morning and in the next three weeks, I guess, today and two more, these messages coming up, is from heaven's point of view. Chapter 10 is heaven's point of view. Whereas last week, what we saw last week was from earth's point of view. Okay? Now, as I've said and I will say this, understand that as we open this morning in chapter 10, with the scene in our text verses being in heaven, that the activities of last week's message are still going on on earth at the same time. Please understand, and I've said this to you one time before, remember that the revelation, well, not the revelation, the great tribulation takes how many years? Seven years. We read through the Revelation literally in 30 minutes. And somehow or another, our minds perceive these events clicking off as fast as we read them. They're not. They're not. One bit of time that we know because it is stated implicitly in God's Word, is that the locusts came to earth to torment man for how long? Five specific months. Nearly a half a year. That's only one event. We have so many things going on. We have to remember and keep in our minds these things are going on over a great period of time. Seven years. So when we look at chapter 9, the second half with the horses and the third of the populace being burned to death, we have to realize they didn't run out of the stables, run around, burn up a bunch of people, and vanish like that. They did not. The world is in utter and total upheaval. There are creatures running around the world slaughtering countless lives. And people live after having experienced five months of those locusts, now wishing they were dead. Now they're experiencing these horses that are running around incinerating people. The world lives in abject horror, realizing that those things may show up in their neighborhood. I want you to ponder that for a minute. We're not told how long they're around, but they're around a long time. Because they have to make it to whatever a third of the population of the earth is and destroy them. That's happening when chapter 10 opens up. That's happening when chapter 11 opens up. 
And when chapter 11 shuts down at the midpoint, what verse is that? Just for kicks and giggles. Verse 14 of chapter 11, that's when they stop killing a third of the planet. So we have to keep the revelation in proper time. That's why I'm emphasizing these things so much. So if we look at our text verses this morning, again, John testifies in chapter 10 and verse 1, Then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. So, who is this mighty angel? Who is this individual? Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend for a second that I come down there in a suit and a tie with a long microphone like a game show host. And I pull this congregation asking just some random sampling across the congregants this question. Who do you think, who do you think this angel is? I'm not a betting man. Never been a betting man. Don't do that. But I would be willing to bet this morning that if I were to do that, I would bet dollars to donuts because I'm hungry. That many of you, if not all of you, would ultimately answer my question correctly. I'm betting you'd answer this correctly. The reference to this individual as an angel, notwithstanding, but based on his physical description alone, and knowing the personality of angels prior to chapter 10. It's not difficult to see who this is at all. This mighty angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's look at his description again. We just read it, but hey, it's great to read about him, isn't it? Well, I like reading about Jesus. I don't know about y'all. Okay. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Do you realize, and I know you do, do you realize that all angels are mighty? It's a foregone conclusion. Angels are mighty. So, if that's the case, why point that out? Why point out, since every other time in the Scriptures, thus far in the Revelation, no such indication has been made. Just angels in various capacities. 
But this angel shows up descending from heaven and he's expressly described as mighty. There's a differentiation here from all the other angels that we have heard about heretofore until right now. This one's mighty. Then I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. If you, me, one, somebody, researches reputable resources, resources who do not field far-flung theories concerning God's Word, and the revelation in particular, the revelation, people are very fanciful about the revelation and trying to figure out what in the world is being discussed. But if you look at resources that examine the biblical record and stay there, people, you research people who research the Bible and don't invent reasons and answers. If you'll do that using proper principles of hermeneutics, you will find ample proof, ample proof. You'll find all kinds of information to support the claim that this mighty angel coming down from heaven is in fact the Son of God. You'll find it all over if you do your homework. Regarding being referred to as an angel, which is probably the one part of this that messes everybody up, well, the Bible says he's an angel. No, the Bible didn't say he was an angel. The Bible said he was a mighty angel. And then goes systematically to describe this mighty angel. This is what Joseph Seiss says about that whole labeling him as an angel. He's called an angel, but there is nothing uh, in that to prove him a created being. Did everybody catch that? We all know we're created. We all know the earth's created, all the animals and everything. Well, all the angels are created. Did you hear what I just said? All the angels are created. Keep in mind, here's a little known subtle theological fact about angels. They don't replicate. They don't reproduce. So when someone like me stands here and says, all the angels are created, whatever the number of angels is, God created each one individually. Okay? The fact that he's labeled an angel doesn't necessarily prove that he's created, that he is actually this angelic being. 
angel, the word, the title, angel, is a title of office, not of nature. To be an angel means you hold that office. It doesn't mean that your nature as an angel being a created being is, necess- is necessarily applicable in this case. In, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I'm not real careful because I'm trying to quote someone way smarter than me. So I'm going to go ahead. In the Old Testament, the Son of God is continually described as the Jehovah angel. We had what uh, we had a somewhat corresponding vision in the first chapter. How many remember when John first saw Jesus? He's there. He hears this voice. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day while in Patmos, and all of a sudden he's hit by this voice. He turns around, describes the Son of God, falls dead. Is revived. (laughs) Thank goodness he's revived. And if you'll notice, some of the same characteristics that are in chapter 1 are in chapter 10. Yes? Yet, regarding that vision in the first chapter, he who appeared there in chapter 1 announced himself as the first and the last, the living one who became dead and is alive forever. So the one who is a similar vision in chapter 1 is in chapter 10. He declares himself divine in chapter 1. Despite the fact that he's described as a mighty angel in chapter 10. We do know, I'm still quoting here. We do know that he appears in the apocalypse. Now look at this. As a lamb. Does that make Jesus a barnyard animal? No, of course not. He appears as a lamb. He appears as a lion. Does that mean he's an African-descended large feline predator? No. And in the apocalypse... He is seen as an armed warrior. And there is nothing, I like this, to hinder his appearance also as an angel. Lehman Strauss said concerning this mighty angel, he said this. He said, he is called the angel of his, Jehovah's, presence in Isaiah 63.9. And he is called the angel of the Lord In Exodus 3, verse 2. Read Exodus 3, Strauss says, and you will see that the claims and actions of the angel of Jehovah pertain only to deity. So the mighty angel is indeed the Son of God. Amen? I know, we're digging in and you're trying to, I I know, you're assimilating, you're thinking, you're pondering, I get it. I don't have to have amens all the time. It's just that I want to make things clear. Immediately after John's description of the mighty angel in the opening verses of chapter 10, this mighty angel gives a, quote, loud shout like the roar of a lion, end quote. 
How many angels throughout the entirety of Scripture shout and have the roar of a lion? How many? Give me a number. Anybody. Doesn't matter. You're absolutely correct. None. There is one whose shout is the shout of the roar of a lion. There is one. And that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It is the lion lamb that we know was slain before the foundations of the world. This is the Son of God who we see coming down, descending out of heaven. This roar-like shout evokes a powerful response, as it would. The Bible says, when he shouted, the voices, now watch this. It's not up there. The voices of the seven thunders spoke. The word, we, we take verbiage uh, for granted. We take terminology for granted and we leave detail out. We just don't see it because we use it all the time. Who's going to pay attention to the word the? Who's going to pay attention to the word the? Nobody. But it's important in this context because what we have here is when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. The seven thunders spoke. What in the world are these seven thunders? Let's be honest. It sounds like J.R. Tolkien. Right? It's not Tolkien. It's really important. What are these seven thunders that John's talking about? One commentarian wrote this. This is what he said. They, the seven thunders, they are mentioned with, listen now, the definite article, period. They are mentioned, these seven thunders, with the definite article. The force of this is that these are thunders of which the apostle assumes that his readers already have some knowledge. And if we go only back to the record, meaning the Bible, if we'll only go back to the record, even as little as just the, the borders of the revelation itself, we will find that we too have heard them before as well. What does all that mean? The definite article. The definite article in respect to these seven thunders is that John refers to these seven thunders in such a way that it can only mean the thunders you've already read about, not just thunders any old where. That's what it means. These are not some thunders. These are the thunders. Everybody got me? Okay. We're going to move on because I'm going to believe that you, that you understand it. In the vision in the fourth chapter, okay, the fourth chapter of the Revelation, and I'm still quoting, in the vision of the fourth chapter, John saw, and every one of you will remember this, a rainbow encircling the throne of God. 
Everybody remember that? He, on ch- it's uh, chapter 4. He's seated on a throne, and there's a rainbow. You see the elders, all the sevenfold spirit, etc., etc. But there's a rainbow there. And here, in chapter 10, he speaks of that rainbow. The same rainbow. Because he's using terminology where this mighty angel has a rainbow around his head. Well, the terminology when John writes, he's saying that rainbow from back there, that's here. And everybody goes, oh, okay, I got you. Moving along. In the same vision, John beheld and said, out of the throne go lightnings and voices and thunders. They are not, and we know this simply by reading the Word of God, they're not specified as seven thunders, but because of the way the number seven is employed in this book, the Apocalypse, seven is their number because of the way seven is used. They may therefore be very properly referred to as specifically the seven thunders. Now, wait. These same thunders were also remarked in the eighth chapter. For as the priest angel turned, and everybody's going to remember this, turned the contents of his fire-filled censer upon the earth. Do you remember? He was before, this angel was before the throne of God at the altar, and he pulls and fills his censer up after he dispensed with the prayers of the saints. He filled the censer up, and the Bible says he hurled it to the earth. Everybody remember? Okay. The Bible says when he did that, there followed thundering and lightnings and voices. They are the judgment thunders. If you'll notice, just with a casual perusal of the revelation, when you hear those things appear, you you see them happening typically after judgment has been dispensed. And hence, must pro- since they are the judgment thunders, they must proceed from the judgment throne. And everything attendant on that throne takes the characteristics of the number seven. Seven torches, seven spirits of God, seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven vials. And for the same reason and for the same sense, necessarily seven thunders of the divine indignation. What are the seven thunders? The seven thunders accompany the judgment of God. Has from the beginning, will always, until there is no more judgment of God. Let's wrap up for this morning. I'm going to wrap up with, the ver- with verse 4. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. 
I can see that happening. First of all, you've got this personage descending from heaven with that description. Let's be honest. To see those descriptors in three dimensions and technicolor would be a staggering thing to see. Yes? And then for those descriptors to end in a shout that sounds like the roar of a lion. Yeah, I'm writing that down as quickly as I possibly can. And when he roars, seven thunders rip through the area. (laughs) Yeah. As soon as I change my pants, I'm going to write this down. Okay? I'm going to write this down. And what's funny is that we know from chapter 1, John has a specific purpose here. Chapter 1, verse 19. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to John in chapter 1 of the Revelation. He says, write therefore what you have seen. So he's been given an order to write everything down. And he's like, oh yeah. And he goes to writing all this down. I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Change of orders. And he's like, oh man. I can just see it, man. He doesn't do that. That's stupid. He's probably like, yes, sir. You got it. You know, we're not going to write anything down. So suddenly we have these... These, these, these thunders that responded to this mighty angel. And John's going to do his job. And he's expressly told, don't. At the beginning of these wonderful visions, John was commanded to write what he saw. And to make it known unto the churches. Therefore, he says, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. And I heard a voice out of heaven saying, seal up those things which the seven thunders spoke and write them not. The command was that there was no negotiation room here. The command was absolute. And the holy apostle obeyed it. So would I. If I heard a voice come out of heaven with authority say, don't do that, I'm going, yes, sir. What the seven thunders said is therefore unwritten and unknown and must needs remain unknown till amid the ongoings of the judgment as here foreshown, they shall answer the great voice of the mighty angel. And until then, it is enough and best that the children of men should know no more upon this point. That there are such thunders is enough. And that they have utterances to give in sympathy to the lion cry of Christ. In other words, they obey Him. When in the act of proceeding to take possession of the sea and land, and that those voices in all their terrific majesty will be heard when the time comes. That's it. 
We don't know what was said. We ain't going to know what was said. There are people who like to say what they are. As a matter of fact, they, I, I was reading and I found some commentary and someone chose to believe that it had to do with the Vatican. How you get that, I will never know. People far more creative than I dreaming up reasons why God thunders from the heavens. I don't know. With that said, that's my message for this morning. Stand with me. We will go into the second half of chapter 10 next week.